Dr. Dina Dye back in the saddle. <laughs> was gone last week to Jamaica, Yaman. <laughs> Yaman. <laughs> It was, a, it was a very nice, restful vacation, caught up in some reading. I did not take my computer, so I couldn't do anything on it. And so I, you know, for all those of you who are in the cold and snow and the wet, it was 82 degrees with a beautiful ocean breeze where I sat on the beach most days reading, uh, preparing for my next book on Noah. So... And uh, I don't want to forget my co-host who filled in for me, although I understand it was a, a very uh, humorous <laughs> affair. I promise I'm not going to laugh through the whole first half hour here, guys. He's not allowed. Jeff Morton, take it away. No, I, I, I kind of, you know, I got a lot of emails that said, well, your message didn't start for the until you guys got to the half hour. Uh, the 30 minutes after you started, I said, we had, we had a special. I had Daniel McGurr on. He brought some interesting information the last half hour of our special one-hour broadcast because, folks, I was so tired. I actually, and I, I made mention of this, I fell asleep at a red light. So um, Daniel was, like, hoping I could get through the show. And what you guys don't realize is we get to do video exchange. We're looking at each other. So as he's going through his history, he's right, reminding me of mine, and I just caught the giggles. So I laughed for 30 minutes through the whole program. <laughs> but Daniel and I have something. We're cooking up something that we're going to do, and uh, so stay tuned for that. Anyway, I'm glad to have you back, Dina. I hope yes. you had a wonderful time. I've uh, never been down to, Jama to Jamaica. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, it's, uh, it, uh, the people are absolutely lovely. Now, really? granted, I was in a very nice resort <laughs> that had a lot of staff <laughs> that took care of our every need. But just uh, a very, you know, I think the thing that struck me, because clearly Jamaicans are black, in case anyone hasn't noticed, that they are a very proud people, that they love their country. Um, you know, obviously not everybody is, but th there just was a sweet spirit and joy and happy to where they lived. And I, I just sort of compared that with uh, what we deal with in the U.S., of just um, that that uh, sense of where people, all they do is complain about our nation and, you know, white privilege and everything else. I mean, those people treated us like we were, you know, kings and queens. And yeah. so it was just one, it was just lovely. I really, I really enjoyed myself. Good. Well, um, thank you for sharing that. I'm trying not to be envious. Well, don't be. I was in Montana where it was snowing yeah. and cold, yeah. and there were white-tailed deer prancing around all over the place. Uh, so I'm glad you had a good time in Jamaica. Well, <laughs> but I did have do, a good. You were doing good work in, in yes, Montana. Yes, I was. Did you yes. share with everyone about that, or is <clears throat> Well, Camp Patriot is a place where there's a guy up there who decided he was going to help veterans, and for the past ten years he has done an amazing job. I'm actually going to write an article about it and submit it to a couple of magazines because he has a pretty significant need. Uh, we're going to have him on the show. Uh, okay. We just haven't worked it out. I haven't really spoken to you about it, Dina, but we'll figure it out and get him on. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, well, I came back and I was like, how do people do this enormous stuff yeah. in service to the king? Christian Jew, it matters not to me. He's a servant helping people. And, uh uh, you know, he's seen he's seen it all. He's 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 seen it all, 
and now he's helping the guys who have lived it all and lost either limbs, eyes, arms, whatever the case may be. So it's an amazing place, beautiful, spectacular place where we went. But there's a big need up there, and I'm going to see if, if we can do something about that, and I'll be praying about it as I write this article. And I'll probably ask Tyler if she would proof it, because my grammar is worse. I mean, my, my grandchild probably can do better grammar than me. But at the same time, I'm going to write this article and see if I can submit it, because I was touched by this man's spirit yeah. big time. And really, that's what we're all called to do. This, the circumstances uh, of our life, the things that we go through, the Father wants us to turn around and serve others. as we Amen. And that's really, I mean, bottom line, each person has a unique life and experience and things that happen to them, you know, and that is all, your uniqueness requires that you help others and not just, you know, stay home, get frustrated and think you're no good or think there's nothing you can do or don't, you know, you have a ministry of uniqueness. Every one of us. He's formed. Exactly. And so I, I, we don't need to be waiting around like, God, what do you want me to do? You know who you are. Act upon who you are in your wherever you find yourself. Well, I have a standard. I, that's so true. I, I tend to look at it this way. Fruitful and, be fruitful and multiply means, listen, I gave you two arms, two legs, and a brain to think. Go out and do something with it. Yeah. Oh, and if you need some help, just give me a shout. Yeah, and, and I'll be there. If I don't see you heading towards a cliff, uh, I'll support what you're doing, or I'll spend my time trying to keep you from falling off the cliff. But either way, I'll look after it. And that's the way I love about the Father. So... But it really starts by helping someone else. I agree. I mean, that's, you know, that is the whole nature of the kingdom. And, yep. and I think we just, instead of arguing and debating and getting into our theological camps, just go serve. Go serve somebody. Then we're all in the same. <clears throat> I was going to mention, too, uh, so I, I hit the ground running when I got home. But I'm working on, right now, I've, I've hired somebody to do uh an audio book of the first book, The Temple Revealed in Creation. So I got a gal, she's got a British accent, it's great. And uh, so that, that'll be coming on down, down the road here. Uh, next weekend I am headed to Pennsylvania for Gather the Scattered Conference. I'll be there, Ryan White will be there, Matthew Vanderells and several other people. And then in May I'm doing a, kind of a book tour Shavuot thing. Um, essentially, I'll be in, at River of Life Tabernacle in Mississippi for three days. I'll be teaching there. So if any, if you're in that neighborhood, uh, you know, come on down and join us. Otherwise, I'm going to be going through Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, back to Texas, and uh, be speaking in some places. You can check that out on my website. And uh, speaking of website, my new website, uh, author website, plus my Roku channel, which many, many of keep asking about it. I had had I had two developers hang me out to dry on my Roku oh. channel. Yeah. So finally Ryan White came to my rescue. Ryan's building my website and he's building my Roku channel. So I would say by the end of April both of those should be up and uh, ready to go. So I'm excited about that. So it's it's been kind of a busy time. Yeah and folks if, in case you didn't know this, I'll just say it again. 
when I met Nina Dye, it was because she said some things that, that are intuitive to everything going on in my head. And I sit and I am amazed at what we have come to believe that has really very little to do with what's actually happening in the scriptures. And one of the reasons I approached Dean about this radio show is because I get what she's talking about. I don't articulate it as well as she does. I get it and I learn. But my role in all of this is really to um, bring that information forward. She's kind of like my sounding board. What I can't articulate, she's teaching. And it's an amazing thing. She'll say something and I'll say, yeah, I was talking about that earlier. And it's just kind of weird how that happens. But we're so intuitive in this, and I'm like, okay. In fact, I was listening to your show today uh, on uh, Israel TV Network. I was listening to actually um, the first, uh, number six, you have like ten lessons, yeah. the, the Kingdom and the Gospel of John. I was listening to number six, and there was something you said in there that had to do with the six baths of water or six baths of wine in the wedding ceremony and how that was an inauguration ceremony. Right. And if you don't, I got that, I knew that, I understood that. That's why it's in the scriptures in the first place. It's a metaphor for, for what he's actually doing. Right. And I, I, I just connect the fact that if we look at the people in the story, the people are like words in a book. And when you read what they're doing, you begin to see exactly what the Messiah is doing. It's really kind of weird like that, and I don't know how to explain it any other way. But the whole wedding ceremony, all the people, if you just put them all on a board and start moving them around, they're telling the story of the kingdom yes. and the king at a wedding ceremony when heaven and earth become one mm -hmm. and all of this stuff. And it's like, here is the celebration. It's all there. But yeah. anyway, before you left, we were in John chapter 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know you want to do a little review on that and kind of pick it up there. And I just really think I really think people uh, would benefit to understand what we're talking about. So what do you got for us this week, Dr. Dodd? Well, just, you know, John Chapter 3 is a very unique chapter. Uh, I would submit that the entirety of the chapter is about the New Moon Festival, a Rosh Chodesh. So we know that Nicodemus came at night. But the language that's in the chapter is all straight out of the New Moon celebration especially in the first century. So you have to understand in the first century, the new moon, uh, identifying the new moon, going through the proper legal procedure in order to confirm it, its sighting, the new moon thing was much more prominent than Shabbat. You know, the Sabbath Shabbat rose in prominence after the temple was destroyed. But when it was standing, it was the new moon. So you have Rosh Chodesh. Now, I, we don't know exactly which month it is. It's kind of irrelevant because I think the whole thing is, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily saying it's Tishrei, but it's pointing to that because Tishrei 1 is Rosh Hashanah, the day of the awakening blast. The black, why? Because it's announcing the king has been coronated and enthroned. Mm -hmm. So this is part of the language. It's a, it's a coronation ritual. So uh, typically in the ancient world, uh, the new moon, uh, a new moon, New Year's thing was when either a new king came to town and he was crowned or it was a, uh, a commemorative thing of his rulership. 
Now, in the Babylonian world, they celebrated the new moon. Uh, they, they called it the Akitu festival, and that took place in the spring. But this new moon festival came to, rep to represent the, uh, a rehearsal, if you will, for the redemption of Israel. And when you think about the, the process of the moon waxing and waning, that was compared to the spiritual condition of Israel. So as, mm -hmm. as the sun was shining on the moon, full, you know, a full moon, that, that was speaking of the fullness of redemption and deliverance. And as the moon would wane and the, the light would be removed, then it, it, it spoke of their spiritual status. It's kind, so it's kind of interesting. But the, and the renewal of the moon each month was associated with, first of all, David's dynasty, and secondly, with the coming of the Messiah. Like, that was, that was in their DNA back then. So here's Nicodemus coming to Yeshua, and you've got to wonder if that's all not going on in there, that, uh, that, that the declaration is being made, unless a man is born again, that, yes, the Messiah is here now, standing in front of you, and this is... Uh, I'm declaring that, that my rulership and that the, the, the kingdom is here now present. This dynasty is, uh, is appearing, if you will. So, again, the dynasty is, it's not just, it's about building a house. I mean, you build a dynasty the same way. And once it's, uh, in order to build it, you have to install the king. So one of the things that, uh, that I did with this particular chapter is show the comparison between uh, John, who wrote the book, and Yeshua in relationship to David and Jonathan. Like there's a lot of similarity in their relationship. So hopefully uh, those that listened to us last time read 1 Samuel 20. Did you get a chance to read that one? Nope. So, like so many, <laughs> well, you'll read it after I'm done. <laughs> but this is the, the declaration of covenant loyalty between Jonathan and David. Just in the same way, there's this declaration of covenant loyalty between John and Yeshua the Messiah. So, um, if we, we have to kind of go back for a second and think of what's kind of going on. And I would encourage you to read 19, too, just because... You, it's good to have the background story. But I, if you'll recall, Saul was out to kill David over and over and over. It was like Groundhog Day, kill this guy, get rid of him. Because he was a threat to his power and his throne. So now this is within the uh, Israel's community, obviously. But Saul really comes to represent how the kings of the nations operate. So if you want a good comparison, and if you jump ahead to Yeshua, he's, he's kind of saying the same thing about Rome at that time. Okay? Mm -hmm. So it tells us that, that the Ruach departed from Saul. Like that's kind of the first thing that happened. Kind of like none of our leaders have any Ruach, right? <laughs> and that's speaking, one of the gifts that every king was given in the, the economy of Israel was the anointing and wisdom. So Saul, the anointing has been removed from Saul and wisdom, and as a result, wisdom has been removed. And so he's not operating out of a full you know, deck of cards here and goes off into weird stuff. 
uh, leading up to that time, David is actually an attendant in Saul's court. Kind of similar, like John would be an attendant in Yeshua's court, if you will. Mm -hmm. And we see language of Saul loving David greatly. Is, and he talked about him as his beloved son. Now, anyone who's read my book or has been listening to me, this is language of kingship. So it's clear that Saul is going to make David his heir. What's wrong with this picture? It doesn't go to his son. Does it go to his son Jonathan? Now, logically, Jonathan, in a, in a normal human being, who is not in a covenant relationship, would be jealous beyond measure. So, and of course, Dave, uh, Saul is operating out of the spirit of jealousy. But Dave, uh, Jonathan recognizes who the, the legitimate king is, even though he's not from his line. And he is, Jonathan is giving up the throne so that David could take the throne because God has made him king. Like, that's huge. Clearly see the parallel. This is, yeah. this is exactly what Yochanan did. Yeah. He stepped aside. Go yeah, ahead. that's why all that language is in there. We're yeah. like, what, what's going on here? So this is kingship language in play. So you'll remember, you know, David, one of the things he was to kind of soothe uh, Saul's spirit, he, you know, played the harp. Um, and in order to bring a relief from torment, so Saul is being tormented. So that's another thing. You step outside a covenant. You operate under your own auspices. You you act like a tyrant, and you are tormented. And you, I mean, we just look out into the world. I mean, torment on steroids. People's lives are in a state of torment, and they're looking for some way, uh, some peace to come on them. But there's only one peace. You know, the Prince of Peace, the, mm -hmm. the peace that passes all understanding. The covenant peace that God provides. That's the only peace there is. There is no other peace. Um, we have the story, of course, of Goliath. And, you know, we see David defeating uh, this giant. But really... I have a whole video. I did a whole, a whole teaching on that because there's a story going on there that... Um, in fact, I, I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's a story going on there where you're seeing the battle between the servant king and mm -hmm. the nations. Yes, and, that's and, exactly it. But also, Goliath is considered beautiful and gorgeous and all this stuff, but he's a Philistine. The word means immigrant, and he's sitting there saying, I know I'm in the land of Judah, but we're coming for Judea and Samaria. Yeah. And we're, we're the nations. We've aligned ourselves to come and take Judea and Samaria away from you. And David runs out of the camp and says no. And he takes his head off, and then you find out that Orp is his mother. And so you but begin to see. That confirms his kingship. Exactly. He is. That would have spoken to everybody. This guy's king, because right. that's what the king did. The king took out the enemy in order to build the house, and that's and exactly what what uh, David did. Well, one of the reasons why I didn't read the chapters because First Samuel is my favorite book, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament or in the Tanakh. Because of that, that those parallels, but I hadn't made the parallel between Jonathan and and Yochanan, and now I'm seeing how it all fits. I mean, it, it yeah. really does fit uh, because Yoke, or Jonathan became literally the announcer, uh -huh. and he paid with his life. 
Yep. Which is exactly what Yochanan did, or John. And and the lengths that he went to protect David. Yeah. Is remarkable. This whole thing is remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. So of course, all of these victories confirmed that Dave, that the hand of God was on David, and that God was going to raise David up to be king. And of course, how does the enemy respond in this? You know, with, with this, with jealousy. Jealousy is deadly. I mean, it will destroy any wherever it rears its ugly head. It just brings destruction. And it, you know, uh, Saul is a perfect example of it. And this is something, especially in ministry, that you must guard yourself against. And you know, especially with like these very large ministries, there tends to be a lot of jealousy between, you know, these power brokers in the religious world. Like I don't see it any different than what I'm seeing here. And no, and I've dealt I've dealt with some of them, and just trying to promote, even in the Torah community, the 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 type of egos that you run into. And I'm not saying, I'm not whitewashing. Sure. But what I am saying is, I've dealt with some people that I thought were impossible. Yeah. And only because of their quote-unquote status um, that they imagined themselves to have. So, yeah. It, it, yeah, no, it's, it, I think. I don't know how mean, anybody could be jealous of that person, but people do get jealous of those people. But it's the most danger, this, the spirit of jealousy and competition, I would maintain, is the most dangerous for the growth of ministry. I don't think, and I've run into it just in my own, you know, I, I mean, I, I kind of fly under the radar. I'm not, I don't have some big ministry or anything, but I'm telling you, I have run into this thing. And I'm going, man, it's just me. Like, I'm nobody. I'm this little, you know, female Jewish girl from Canada, but on earth. But I have been in situations that just, I just open my mouth and, you know, create <laughs> the, the responses. And it just, you know, I, I just have, I have to go 180 degrees away from that stuff. I, you know, you bring up something that I'm going to tap onto because I, I remember. I was desperate at one time to get this message into the into the ears of a lot of black pastors, because uh, to me that's my heart's cry is for the church to return to the garden. I mean, really, it yeah. really is black, white, yeah. red, brown. That my heart's desire is for the church to go back to the biblical story, not the translated story, if you will. And I don't mind saying it that way. But I'm talking to this pastor. And he goes, where did you get your degree from? And and I said, I said, well, I'm actually a plumber. <laughs> <laughs> and he got he got kind of incensed. Yeah. And I said, and and I have the plumber's crack to prove it. <laughs> and I only said that because he, I didn't line up with his credentials. Right. Therefore, he's going to throw me in the under the bus, which is a big problem in the black community, in the black churches, or maybe all churches. I don't know. I think it's all but churches. that spirit of jealousy—who are you? Yeah. You don't have a right to pass it. You don't—you don't know anything. And I had to deal with that. Finally, I checked out and went under the radar because I get it. Why do I want to fight that stupid? Yeah. No. And I, I don't want to fight that stupid. I really don't. It's a, yeah. It's it's dangerous. So this is the rea relationship now between Saul and David. You know, yes. between the one that's been called by God to be king, and that 
Saul's son Jonathan is now, you know, warning David and hiding David and protecting David. And Saul has become obsessed with killing David. And you can kind of compare that to the first century when we see the temple elites and Caesar and Herod, and they all become obsessed with killing Yeshua. Well, they got to do is turn on the news, Dina. <laughs> well, there's that too. <laughs> but but I get you out of your point, but yeah. yeah. So when we start out uh, at the beginning of chapter 20 for Samuel, um, David says to Jonathan, look. Tomorrow is the new moon. Okay, I see it. When I'm supposed to sit down, that's king language, with the king to eat. So we've got this covenant meal associated with the annual enthronement ritual. Mm. Now, uh, of course, David knows if he sits down, he is dead meat. And so uh, some of the translations here are just annoying. This one has said, let me go hide in the countryside. But really, the word there is sade, which is field. Let me go hide in the field until the third evening. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Let there. me go hide in the nations until the third day. Yeah, exactly. Uh. Exactly. So, of course, the you know Saul shows up, and he's furious because... This was he missed the opportunity. At the banquet table is an empty chair. <laughs> you know? Um, and, and of course, um, Saul thinks that uh, that David uh, has gone off to Bethlehem, right? And uh, he's, you know, hanging out with his family, gone there to do a feast. So, again, we have this emphasis on the feast, and which, again, is associated with uh, the new moon. And uh, then he... Saul accuses Jonathan, you know, choosing David, son of Jesse. And and then Saul makes the statement to him, as long as the son of Jesse lives, as long as David lives, you and your kingship will not be secure. So Jonathan, again, is the legitimate son of the king, the firstborn. And we see how often the firstborn doesn't take, doesn't get it. <laughs> right. But God had raised up another uh, on the third day to become mm-hmm. king. So again, all of this is just tucked away, if you will, into in um, in John chapter three. And I probably don't have much more time, and you know we can pick it up again or not. But this idea of the third day is language of new creation, because what happens on the third day of creation? Dry land appears, the house is built, the sprout comes up out of the earth, which is a tree that's going to fill the earth. And so we have here new creation language. You know, I sit here and I mourn sometimes because I understand this. I mean, I really understand. It's just repeating the same thing over and over and over again. So when I hear that familiar sound, and it sounds something like this, well, what about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians? That I realize that the person is not even in the same lane with what the Bible is communicating about building the house, creating a family, and occupying creation. And, and, and it's, it's not about 
the arguing right. or the discussion from one scripture to the other. It's about what is the Lord doing and how is it recorded in the scriptures in such a way whereby it becomes obvious. If you don't understand the temple, if you don't understand the feasts, if you have absolutely no knowledge of the language and how it's laid out, if you don't understand what these things are all talking about, it's kind of like really, really, really simple to turn the Bible into a bedtime story mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as opposed to the revelation of the kingdom of God come to this earth through the nation of Israel. Yeah, and said it better myself. And and you know what? And I'm not going to go into the whole rest of the story. You know, they go out in the field to the appointed place and all that sort of yeah. stuff. But uh, David tells uh, Jonathan to go in in Shalom. Go in the go in the walk in the eternal covenant that we have sworn to one another in the name of the Lord. So now mm -hmm. you know we really have this new covenant emphasis in this story that takes us into John chapter 3. That is, a, that is a new covenant language that we have uh, kingship in that, in that entire chapter. Well, and, oh, no, go ahead. Are we out of time? We're out of time, but go ahead. You were well, say I was something. just going to mention one other thing, and you know, maybe we'll come back to it or move on next week. I'm not sure. But the most famous scripture of all time <laughs> is in John chapter John. 3. <laughs> right? John chapter 3.16. <laughs> okay. Now, no one, in light of what I'm talking about, hopefully the, this verse will just change your paradigm. Because it said, God so loved the world, so this is covenant language, that he gave his one and only begotten son. That is language, that's kingship language of the ancient Near East. This verse has been so maligned, I think. Because God is speaking of how much he loved the world that he raised up his heir to rule and reign over it and to bring justice and righteousness and mercy and peace to it. And you know, and he says, and I got to squeeze this in, uh, you know, that the whole earth shall be redeemed. Redemption is near. It's not about destroying the earth. Right. It's not about an airlift. It's about heaven coming here, the two becoming one, and then a life, a new creation being born to fill eternity with every reason all of this has been done in the first place. Amen. That's, 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 that's really it. That's so it. I want to just say to people, if you really want to understand what we're talking about, go to IsraelTVNetwork.tv. That's IsraelTVNetwork.tv. Go to Foundations and Tour, find Dina's program, and then find the kingdom, uh, the king, the gospel, the kingdom, and the gospel of John. Listen to the whole series in the coming week or so, because we're going to stay here for a while on the subject. I'm going to have a guest or two, uh, but go there, listen to the whole series, so that when you're listening to us here live, you're not out in the weeds, and you'll have a better understanding about what we're talking about, because. Since we started this program, Dina and I and I have never been talking about religion. We're not talking about religion, okay? We're talking about returning to the government of God Almighty through the blood of Messiah and the nation of Israel. That's really what this is all about. So, Dina, I'm done. Okay. Until next I'm week, done. my friend. Next week.
All right. Amen. God bless everybody. Shalom. Bye-bye.